Good morning and welcome to the Coffee and Cap Rates podcast, your go-to source for New York City's latest commercial real estate insights. This program is brought to you by Ariel Property Advisors. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to Coffee and Cap Rates. Uh, I'm Shimon Shkuri, president of Ariel Property Advisors, and together with me today is my colleague, uh, Jason Gold, who does a tremendous amount of business in the Bronx and actually is here to talk to us about closing deals in the middle of a pandemic. Hello, Jason. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really well, and I'm, I'm very happy that you're here because you recently closed on a deal in the Bronx, on a transaction in the Bronx, on Bryant Avenue for three buildings. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the asset before we start diving into the process and what happened there during the pandemic? Of course. So this is a three-building package, total of 24 units, eight units in each property. Two of the properties were contiguous, 1130 and 1134 Bryant. And the other asset was a couple of doors down at 1142 Bryant. Uh, 1142 Bryant was a eight-unit rent-stabilized property at 1130 and 1134. Had one tenant in the property on a triple-net basis which was a for-profit organization, and we're paying about $15,000 a month on a triple net. Thank you, Jason. And you know, when we market a property, there is a very specific process and procedure that we go through. It's a very methodical procedure, and it provides the seller the ability to really see where the market is and when they can be ready to transact. But I'm sure it wasn't that easy during the past three months can you tell us a little bit about the process of closing this transaction during a coronavirus pandemic? Of course. So this is the property that we were marketing in the fourth quarter of 2019. And we had over a dozen offers on the property, a very competitive process that we ran from A to Z. And we were lucky enough to get this into contract around December of 2019. and was actually supposed to close at the end of March of 2020. Of course, we all know what happened with the coronavirus that occurred in the middle of March, which had delayed the process. And the reason why was because of the lending environment. The buyer had, luckily enough, he had a couple of lenders very interested in this property. One lender specifically that wanted to pursue the property. And then when the pandemic came around, a few lenders backed out. One lender proceeded, but we're asking for a tremendous amount of paperwork and documentation to support the process and support the building at the valuation that he was buying it at. And it just caused a lot more paperwork and a lot more emails. So we ended up closing at the end of June, basically July 1st, we closed and it was delayed three months. But during those three months, that three month process of when it was supposed to close until when it actually closed, there was a lot of handhelding, a lot of conversations between the buyer, his mortgage brokers, his lender, is attorneys, the seller's attorney, the seller himself, and just everyone getting on the same page. Thank you, Jason. And I've seen this from the background. I think you definitely did a fantastic job for both the seller and the buyer in closing this. I know it wasn't easy. What's interesting is that it's consistent with what we're seeing. Deals that were in contract, supposed to close in March or April, all were pushed out. Thankfully, not canceled, but pushed out and starting to close now, so 90 days after, 60 days after, starting to close. And I think one of the key elements is the lenders. And some of the lenders, like you mentioned, wanted more documentation than they did prior to COVID, just to make sure that they're on the same page. 
In most cases, lenders stayed where they were in terms of their offers, in some cases renegotiated pricing. I think that what was interesting about this process from what I've seen, Jason, and where I was impressed, at least from a seller's perspective, is that during the pandemic, we also had a few other options in case this guy or this buyer would not want to close. You were able to possibly bring in a few other potential buyers that were willing to close at least around the same price. Wouldn't you say that's part of our process and that's part of why a seller that does essentially run the process has a higher likelihood to close and higher likelihood to close at a higher number? Would, would that be a fair statement, Jason? A hundred percent. I think you said it perfectly. I think that, you know, if this buyer and the lender didn't want to move forward on the deal, you know, we were continuing to engage the backup buyers to see, you know, their level of interest. At the end of the day, the seller wanted to sell this and he wanted to have a secure buyer and make sure somebody is able to move forward on this transaction and close this deal. So we did have a few backup buyers in a position to move forward on this property. But like you said, I mean, that's the part of running a process. When you run a process, it's not just one buyer. You have multiple buyers, you have multiple offers on the property and be able to give the seller an option of what he wants to do. If it's terms that are important to him or is it price, you know, give him a few options where he can make a decision, an educated decision to move forward. Yes. And I think that in today's market, especially during the pandemic, the most important part for a seller is to see the price information and price discovery, see what's really out there so they can make an informed decision when it comes to selling. You want to see multiple bids. You want to see multiple price indications, probably a dozen. And I think he had probably about two dozen offers on this specific property pre-pandemic and during the pandemic. So I think that's really key, discovering where pricing is today, who are the top bidders today, who's active today. That allows you as a seller to really get to the finish line with the best results. Jason, you know, when we come to closing this one, I wanted to ask you a question. What else do you have in the pipeline that could be interesting to our listeners? And if they are interested, clearly they should call you. So what what else do you have in the pipeline for our listeners? We just got hired on three separate development sites from actually one owner. It's going to be a total of around 70,000 buildable square feet all throughout the Morrisania and East Tremont section of the Bronx, right by West Farms where a huge project is being built right now. It's about 700 units that are being built. So these development sites are just surrounding that asset right near the two and five subway train. In addition to that, we just got hired on two multifamily properties right next to Fordham University, roughly 30 units in total. That one is going to be priced well, and it's going to be priced to sell. It's going to be, I think, going to get a lot of activity. But you know, as much as the coronavirus, people were... Taking a step back in the beginning stages, I think the investor pool has picked up and we've seen a tremendous amount of activity in the past three to four weeks. We got signed up probably on about 15 to $20 million worth of new listings in the Bronx, and we're excited to work on them. That's great. It's very positive. I'm so happy to speak with you here today, selling properties during the pandemic and closing on real estate in New York City. Jason, before we finalize this session, any last words that you want to mention? No, I think a lot of people are a little bit more optimistic about real estate in New York. And at the end of the day, you're still invested in New York City and in the boroughs. And I think it's only going to go up from here. And the Bronx as well. The Bronx is doing extremely well. And you're a part of the reasons for that. Jason, thank you very much. Thank you very much to our listeners. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Coffee and Capri.